Welcome to the Faith and Good Counsel Show, where we talk about ways to live a healthy, virtuous, and joy-filled life amid the challenges of our modern world. And now, your host, Stacy Galino. I'm so delighted to welcome as my guest today, friend and colleague, Elizabeth Wilson. Hey there, Elizabeth. How are you? Hey, it's so great to have you, and I'm so grateful for you to be here with me. I have so much that I want to speak to you about. You've been on my heart for so long, Elizabeth, so I'm so glad that the Lord has finally allowed us this opportunity to speak about yeah. something something so um, important, and that is the trauma, the suffering, but the hope that we can have in women who are post-abortive. So thank you so much for your gift of time and expertise and heart today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I would like, first of all, I know you, Elizabeth, but I would like people to know who Elizabeth Wilson is and what it is that you do. So I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I work um, at Women's New Life Center, and I primarily work with women who are either in crisis with an unplanned pregnancy or who are suffering from a pregnancy loss, whether mm-hmm. through abortion, miscarriage, or stillbirth. Mm. So I've been doing this now primarily for eight years. I am a a New Orleanian, married (laughs) for 24 years with four kids and one godson who lives with us. So have always been pro-life, but have not always worked in this setting. So I've worked in various settings throughout my professional life um, in hospitals or with various agencies and um, even working some with the elderly. So this is near and dear to my heart. It is just offering hope, I think, to women. It is, you know, providing a clinical and professional approach while treating them with dignity and, you know, as a person. So Yes. And and that's the thing about the Women's New Life Center and centers like the Women's New Life Center. We have locations here in southeast Louisiana, both in the New Orleans area as well as in Baton Rouge area. Such a tremendous gift. I'm familiar with many of the souls working there, and I love the work. I absolutely love the work that you all are doing because women come to you in crisis, whether Mm -hmm. it is with a, a pregnancy that was not planned or, as you mentioned, you know, with pregnancy loss, there's also other services, too, that when we are maybe towards the end of our interview, I love to actually let people know a little bit more about all of the other kinds of services you all have there, like Crate Model and things like that. But, you know, Elizabeth, as we've gotten to know one another over the past few years, I wish we could spend more time together because I just feel the sisterhood with you, um, you know, coming from also from um, a mental health perspective and, and formerly as an OB nurse and having that heart for the dignity of every human person from conception to natural death, right? And right. I, I just, you inspire me because you are right in the front lines and in the trenches of receiving into your heart and into your care, women who are very, very much in crisis, very perhaps even having been traumatized and what have you. And I would just first like to say you were beginning to head there, but when you were working perhaps in a more secular institution versus where you are now, can you just talk a little bit about the difference of receiving a client in? I mean, what, what does that mean to see a person through the Catholic lens of the human person? Well, sure. To begin with, I would hope that I would have treated them, and even in a secular setting, in the same way. But at Women's New Life Center, it lends itself to 
first of all, the, the mission that we have, and that is to help promote the dignity of human life. And, and if you look at the definition of dignity, just even in the dictionary, mm-hmm. it simply says it's the quality of being worthy of honor or respect. So how do we treat this woman coming in when we don't know much about her? If we have an agenda, I want to bring this woman to this place. We can totally miss her. Right. We can miss where she's coming from. We can miss what her experience is. And we can miss just listening and having her reveal some of herself to us. That's right. that's a privilege, to be Absolutely. honest. Um, yeah. And so there are many times where we will meet someone and even meet with, with a woman and after say, what a privilege it was to meet this woman oh. today. Seriously, and you can't help it. And that's with whatever problems they're coming in with, whatever presenting problem. So you start with, you know, the premise and the belief. I mean, we go with the personhood, and I'm not an expert in theology of the body by any means, but I do believe this is related to theology of the body, and it's an expression. So when we talk about, like, the personhood, And what John Paul II was focusing in on, you know, it was in his reflections, he didn't just focus on a single dimension. So if a person is coming in, they're not coming in just as a biologic entity. It's not just the physical. It's not even just the existential. You know, it's not that it's just this life here where we are. It goes far beyond that. Right. So the value of that person is so much more than we know. If we take that philosophy, you know, and when we are approaching people, we approach them with respect, first of all. We approach them with a genuine care and a non-utilitarian approach. So we're not going to use this person to have an agenda or to carry out an agenda. Right. Right. This reminds me so much, too, um, and all of these things that reflect the Catholic lens of the human person. But I don't know if you're familiar with the Barzian psychology approach to the human person, but it is, it's speaking about exactly what you are sharing that you are offering in your openness and your receptivity, Elizabeth, as really the face of Christ approaches you in the brokenhearted spirit that you may receive them, in the confusion, in the fear, in the dread, in the burden burden, whatever it is, you are really receiving the Lord as you receive these women. And I think that there's awareness of that, that you're speaking to today. And you know, Elizabeth, a few weeks ago, I did a podcast with Maria Malone and Jenny Galliani. They are two women, both had suffered infertility, and they chose adoption to build their families. And they have started a nonprofit called Adoption is a Loving Option. And Mm -hmm. these are some fabulous women. I met uh, Maria at Theology of the Body Institute. And she had said something to me one day when we were sitting next to each other in one of our classes. 
that women, um, they do a lot of teaching and in high schools and, and with adult women, and they do groups, and they're just really experts in this area. But she said one of the themes that they hear from women of all ages is, I would rather have an abortion than choose adoption. Because, right. yes, do you hear that too? That pierced yes. me. That pierced my heart. And she gave me a statistic. She said that only 2% of women end up choosing adoption. So Elizabeth, you and all the dear souls who work at not only at Women's New Life Center, but all of the pregnancy centers around the United States and the world are receiving the other 98%. And there's this fallacious logic, this this incorrect logic that this it's going to be over. I'm just going to go in and get this procedure and it's over with and I can move on with my life. Can you talk right. a little bit about how that is faulty logic that further harms the person. Absolutely. So if you look at what crisis is, and that's for any human being, crisis is simply a response to an unexpected event. It is something that we were not ready for. We're not ready for this change. And when it happens suddenly, we can go into just, you know, a state of where our beliefs are suspended for a moment. It could be for several moments, several weeks. It is where our fears take over. It is us trying to just get a grasp and some sense of control over the situation that's come, you know, in front of us. So it can produce, you know, just feelings of shock, denial, and then there's this need to escape from pain or from fear. The fear is so real. It's so potent that we just want to get out of it. Now, the beauty about being human is that we can all understand that state of crisis. Yes. We will all experience it in some moment in our lives, and we would hope that someone would be there, you know, to help guide us. And, and, and I've even told this to, to women who are in a said, you know, we, I'm, I'm sharing with you some insight maybe into what you know, crisis looks like so that you understand that it's normal what you're doing. It's normal what you're experiencing. It's normal your tendency to want to get out or escape from a painful situation is, you know, is very normal. So the first thing you need to know is they're not out of their mind. Right. They may feel out of, you know, kind of touch at the moment because what they're used to doing is a certain way of coping or having is a certain way of coping. They know you know, usually can expect what their day looks like, usually can expect what their week or their month looks like. And when something throws us off that much, it's very difficult to take our normal coping and to realize it's not working. And so it's important for us to listen, to not bring them prematurely to a place that we want them to be, because if we do that, they will just simply run. So it's important that a person is kind of walked through gently. It's meeting them, like you were saying, being present to them. It's meeting them where they are. So in order to get to a place where they can actually hear that, look, this could be dangerous, um, we can spend time with them. Right. You know? So when we spend time with them, we can, we can look at their strengths. We can look at what their beliefs are because they will begin to speak it. Yes. And so we gently acknowledge those things, those strengths that they have. Hmm. We will may not even mention the pregnancy decision at this moment. 
because right now what they're facing is their crisis and they're mm-hmm. doing the natural thing, which is let me get out of this crisis. Exactly. And it's, and it's to gain some equilibrium back into their lives. The problem is, is that the only option to get out of a crisis quickly in pregnancy is abortion. So they're taking the human reaction, right, and response, and they're dealing with the crisis. And yet, now they're about to make a permanent decision. And maybe they didn't really see that. They're just looking for a way out. They may not even really be contemplating abortion. All they know is they need a way out. So what we do is try to meet just them where they are and to recognize their strengths and to offer them hope, some realistic hope, you know, that you can get through this. What what does it look like? So we spend time with them. What is your support system? You know, what what does your job look like? See, they're not coming in just, you know, as a woman who has an unplanned pregnancy. This unplanned pregnancy means something to her. So it's important we find out and give the time that it takes respectfully, you know, without prying too much, but simply be there for her and to reflect back to her, her strengths, you know, what the hope is out there. Taking time off from even even a decision, but just simply to work through this crisis. And so we offer her sort of a, um, I don't want to say a partnership, it's, you know, again, very respectful, and we always ask permission to, you know, follow up with her past that one session. Mm -hmm, Um, mm Because this session can turn into many sessions or can just be that one session. And she may have, you know, just gotten over that Mm -hmm. and is now engaging with family, you know, Mm -hmm. who she thought would judge her. Or I can give various examples. So um, she may be okay after that point, after that initial stage of shock. And, but I have such admiration, such respect for women who give themselves that opportunity to work through this crisis because it's so fearful, yes. you know, and it's so painful and they've hunkered down. They've, they remember what their beliefs are, their support system and what their strengths are. And we were there just to kind of edify and right. affirm her and all of that. So just to be there for her, just really important. So I'm envisioning this as the the woman walks in and is received so lovingly. I hear the love and the respect. You know, you're not just using those words. I hear it. I feel it. I'm intuiting it from you, Elizabeth, that each person, each woman is received in love by you and listened to truly from that heart, being very present, being open and accepting and loving um, and seeing the goodness in, in these souls. And every situation is different. And I imagine when that person leaves, though, they go back into their reality, if you will. And Mm -hmm. perhaps their support system isn't very supportive. Perhaps there's pressure from either the the father of the child or sometimes it's the the parents uh, or, or friends. Or just, you know, sifting through uh, social media, where are you going to get support for the decision to carry your, quote, unplanned pregnancy because you need to, quote, get on with your life? You know, it. this is huge, a huge conflict. Yeah. I, I think it's an existential conflict, Do you know, a metaphysical conflict that, that women, I mean, I just feel it in my spirit, this pain of trying to decide what is the right thing, but it's not, you know, I I love that you mentioned, you know, either it's one time or it can be several sessions. And really to me, 
I, I don't want to be presumptuous, but that seems like the better solution because you and I know there's the aftermath. There are the psychological effects of this that go on and on and on. Can you talk right. a little bit about that and maybe give us an example of someone who continued with you and um, or j- just choose one that would kind of exemplify to us the path that shows the lie that it's not just over after the abortion procedure? Uh, sure, right. It's, uh, it, let, me, let me start with this, that most women coming in, they know what's right. That, that's not mm. the problem. So, some don't, but are, are, are just kind of conflicted on that. Most of them know what's right. If you ask them their beliefs about all of these options, they have a very strong belief against abortion. Wow, that's beautiful. Willing, yeah, oh. they, they are. And this is why, you know, we can't presume that they don't know because they do. Mm-hmm. They do. And, and the hard part is anytime we are shaken, our beliefs can be shaken too and tested. Mm-hmm. So our focus is on listening to your conscience mm-hmm. when it's sometimes too fearful to listen to our conscience. So we have this, this crisis that we're going through, and that tells us, get out, get out, get out. Right, and, right. And yet we have our conscience that says, don't go that way, don't go that way. So the one avenue that would provide us relief, our conscience is saying, don't do it. Yes. And so it's very difficult, you know. So it, it takes time, and that's why we encourage women to, the number one thing is to give yourself time. Give yourself mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do when you go home? Can you take a break from this decision? You know, can you take the pressure off? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who would you go to? Who's who's someone that you can trust? You know, mm-hmm. who who would that be? Someone that would not pressure you, you know, but someone that would listen to you and even, even affirm your beliefs, you know, who's going to kind of anchor you and ground you. And so we try to give help clients through like a three, at least I will do that through a three-step kind of grounding process. So what are your next three steps? Go mm-hmm. home, take a nap. How many of us can function well when we don't have sleep? We can't. So we're not able to really read them as we would when we have a you know, good night's sleep. So this woman has probably not slept all night long yeah. and oh. is battling all of this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, practical steps of how are you, you know, how's your appetite? Some steps on that. The nurse may, you know, may get her in to just kind of talk with her about that. Also, you know, who's your support system? Can you take a break? What can you go do tonight? Something for yourself, even as simple as a manicure, yeah. even going yeah. to a movie, getting a smoothie, something that she's treating herself well despite how she feels, you know? So so to kind of go back to go back to your question, if I if if I see a woman who comes in and she is post abortive and she's suffering from that decision, all right, that mm-hmm, promised mm-hmm. her relief, you know, promised her some relief. Um it then goes down and goes away and that relief is no longer present. Mm. You know? Mm. Um, you know, that's that's the difficult part. I think, you know, the reason finding out why she made the decision, because every behavior has a reason. Right. Absolutely. And so if yeah, if we sit down and talk with her and learn what that was like for her, you know, we will discover what the meaning was. There's a lot 
of times, that, and frankly, most times where they, you know, may say, I didn't believe in it, I didn't want to do it, but he wasn't there, you know, mm-hmm. and I, had, I, you know, will ask women sometimes, is, did you wait for him to come, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. that you could not make this decision? And, you know, several of them have said yes, and he didn't come. And mm. so, you know, they go through this, which goes against their their conscience. It goes against their belief. They believed they had no other choice. Yes. Oh, it's just it's, heartbreaking. It's it just... is heartbreaking. There is hope in it. There is hope. I yes. would say we can kind of get into that a little bit more in a minute. But I think that just hearing her being with her in that pain and that loss, is so important. The other thing, too, is that what's really important for us, especially as a social worker, I understand that this person is coming in to grieve the loss of her baby, you know, through abortion. She did not make this decision in isolation. It is so important. I'm going to start to get into the healing process. And so as a social worker, I am going to take a history, right? So understanding what her family of origin was like, what was her relationships like, you know, were there, was there addiction in her family? Was there abuse in her family? Was there, and it doesn't have to be anything bad. It could just be that she was in a role, mm-hmm. you know, she kind of the role. Cause growing up, we assume role. Mm-hmm. So when, when we have, it could be a role of, you know, she may be the sort of, if you want to call it this way, but like the black sheep of the family, mm-hmm. you know, um, to where she kind of was a scapegoat. She may have been in a pregnancy situation and did and wanted to hide it because therefore there's another, right. you know, there's other ammunition to say yes. that I'm, I'm bad. Oh. I did it again, you know. Mm. So for abortion was, you know, looked favorable to her. Um, there may be a woman who, was very comfortable being a perfectionist, thinking she had to be that perfectionist in order to you have the the admiration or, you know, just have the love of her family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if she gets pregnant, you know, what are her thoughts? Her thoughts may be, well, I cannot have this. This will ruin my career. It's going to ruin my aspirations. Um, I'm going to be seen as a screw-up, less than perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So then, therefore, abortion can look favorable to her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it may be years that go by, you know, to where she's now looking at this loss. And in the meantime, you know, this loss can have an impact on family. Absolutely. Yeah, and so understanding where she's coming from, who she is as a person. We know in New Orleans, and I'm going to give an analogy here, we know how we talk about Katrina. Mm-hmm. You know that, oh, a lot of things are pre-Katrina, post-Katrina. Right, right, right. Oh, yes. Why? Because it was such a significant event. It caused destruction, and it... It had such a tremendous impact on our lives and such change, abrupt change that we didn't anticipate. Right. It created a, a significant pause in our life. And to some, you know, it created a lot of uh, pain and sorrow, loss. Very uh, much so. Very so, much so. Right. So this, this can be, if you look at, you know, life of a woman who had an unplanned pregnancy and resulted in abortion, uh, if she had 
an abortion, this is going to be a huge pause in her life to where she can kind of see things as pre-abortion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and not that she forgets growing up, not that she forgets her life, her relationships, her family. It's just that it's, it's significant. Does it become the lens through which everything is sort of viewed, you know, sort of sifted through in a way, do you think? It can. It can. Now, I am very, very careful when I talk about the experiences of women who've had abortions. I do not say every woman has the same experience because they can. That's why it's so important to personalize this grieving process for her and individualize it. It can become the lens. It can become a belief about herself. If she knew it was wrong in her conscience, what is she going to think about that as she goes through life? Well, it would be so just a per- being perpetually stuck there in a way, potentially, if, if that does become the lens through which everything is viewed. I mean, there's just no way out of that, it would seem, like a hamster wheel. Right. Yeah. Right. So, it, you know, she continues to maybe feel horrible about herself. So, look, it, this is the beauty about, again, me being human, right. able to right. recognize right. we are all human. Right. And look, not to minimize her loss, because this was a tremendous loss. This was the loss of her child. And in the beginning, you know, she may have just put aside her beliefs so that she could go do this, that she she really believed she had to do. And Mm -hmm. so what happens later is that it's compartmentalized so that she can function throughout her life. Okay? So she's going to put it in a place of, I know it happened. I'm not going to dwell on it. It was just simply... It was the, all the rationalizations, all the defense mechanisms are active here. Defense mechanisms are such as denial or rationalization or justification. Repression like, for even. for example, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if, you know, she had a boyfriend and he wasn't there for her, she may have justified the abortion saying, he's not there, I can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. You know, while there's a very good reasons to be, you know, scared about this pregnancy, um, in the end, to her, it may or may not justify it anymore. So what what does she do then? We can all, you know, relate to that. We're humans. We are flawed. So for her to just see her own humanness, so important, so important. And so I really want for a woman coming in to have that familial kind of spirit. Right, <laughs> you know, right. It's a, it's a human familiarity. And so, you know, if she can, through a, at least, you know, our attempts to be humble, <laughs> to mm-hmm. have that humility, mm-hmm. she may begin to trust us. And that's in regards to a woman facing an unplanned pregnancy or a woman who's dealing with a loss. Right, and whatever it is. Right, every, what, right and it's not misplaced trust. This is a place and, and a person whom you can truly trust. I mean, Absolutely. can you hear, I know my listeners can hear this in your voice, Elizabeth. I'm like, I want to go over there and crawl on your lap, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, oh. I thank God, you know, we have an opportunity. And, I, you know, I often say this prayer, don't let me know if I'm doing good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I want you to work through, and you know what this woman needs. And look, he will use us as humans. He will use our flaws. Absolutely. He will use our you know, our skills that we learned in school that, that, you know, in our training and ongoing education, he will use all of those things. And that's what they're there for. You know, it's not simply to say, oh, we're, we're 
you know, we're therapists. We we have all these skills. No, it, these are stepping stones. Right. They're you only know, exactly. I, I wonder, yeah, and I'm interrupting you, but I'm having a thought, Elizabeth. I've got to ask you this, and I know you're the person I can ask. Don't you think? that the, all of the skills and the training and the experience, those are so important. But as you said, they are stepping stones. I've often had the experience that in the end, it was simply that that person knew that I loved them. Yeah. That, that made the difference. Have you find that or do you find that in your, in your work? Yes, I, you can really tell when, you know, a person trusts you. And it's it's hard to describe. I think first of all, I mean, you know, just practically, they keep coming back. So right, that's the right. first practical sign, and it can't be about us. And when we talk about professional counseling, it's simply using the skills and the training that we have. And what I love about social work is it two basic assessment skills are it's empathizing mm-hmm. with the person. Mm-hmm. It's the establishment of trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have to earn that trust. And mm-hmm. I love that because mm-hmm. you can't just talk to a person who has not been able to trust somebody, maybe throughout their lives, right. maybe just at moments. Right. And to be able to say, trust me, you can trust me. Right. You may be the very first person that they have encountered it, legitimately that they can learn to trust. Sure, because I will tell you that I, you know, and I asked a woman one time who came in and simply just scared. Mm -hmm. And I I just, I looked at her and I said, do you, you, are you afraid that I'm judging you? No. Because I have no, no, you know, I don't believe I judge people. Look, and, and, you know, we have to, we have to look at that, but we have to also look what they are they seeking. Right. If they're seeking judgment. We have to let them know we're not there to judge them. A lot of times when, you know, and we we can always think a test of this, when we do not follow our conscience and we know we've done something wrong, we're going to, you know, be aware of the possibility of having judgment Mm -hmm. because we may be judging ourselves. And so I I looked at her and I said, you will not find judgment here. And sometimes that's the only thing they'll listen to, Mm. you know, and maybe that's the only word they heard that day. Okay. Um, They're not, they may not be willing to stay. And and we have faced that many times. Our success is not in our ability to keep them there. Right. And that's a very hard thing. That is. We want the best for them. We know that it could be, they could be facing a very difficult time later. We want the best for them. We don't want them harmed. We want nobody harmed. We want all life preserved. Amen. You know, John and, Paul II yeah. said, and I'm paraphrasing, but that human freedom is so important that even we we must have it, even if it is used wrongly, it is better than no freedom at all. And in, in an indirect way, you're speaking about that, that you will care for that person and you will you know, agonize in your heart probably when you don't see them yeah. anymore and you don't know what happened to them uh, or for them. But when you love them the same, you care for them the same, you're not judging them and you respect their freedom to make their choice without regard well, for what, you know, they've spoken to you. I mean, that's, that's so true. And I'm so glad you said that about, you know, St. John Paul II is that because this is one of our our philosophies, too, is that they must come to us in freedom. Amen. Now, what does that mean? I mean, if you're talking about a woman who's in crisis, 
Does she really know what her freedom mm-mm, is? Mm-mm. You know, and, no. and this is not a free will decision. Right. Um, you know, so it's really about two decisions there. She's got two decisions. And it's and this is what we try to encourage her to consider and in the hopes that she will take more time because it's not gonna benefit us, like personally. Don't get me wrong. It benefits humanity when we choose life. It Amen. does. Amen. And we're so, so glad that, you know, life has been celebrated here. Um, so just it, it is a very delicate balance because our heart can ache very much so. But mm. at the same time, we do respect her ability to make her free will decision. I mean, God does not take away our free will, right. even when we're choosing wrong. He That's doesn't. Right. But we feel like we're here at this moment in time with this woman, just as we would want someone to be there for us. Right. And we are encouraging her. First of all, it has to always be about truth. You know, there can never be deception. Um, So we can't, if we're trying so hard for her to choose one way or another, we can miss her completely. Right. And therefore miss this opportunity to have all life celebrated. If we are seeing her for who she is, we're going to look and also see what gifts she's been given by God. There are many. One is individual free will. If God does not does not control that, how can we? Right. And we feel like we'd be dishonoring her more. At the same time, we encourage you to consider there are two decisions to make here. One is whether you allow this crisis to pass so that you can get to yourself, mm-hmm. your beliefs, that which grounds you and that which you know to be morally sound. So we will throw out questions like, what decision, like, for example, the option of pregnancy, what is your belief about that? We will tell them you don't have to give us this answer, but encourage them to consider before making a decision. Is this, according to my moral beliefs and conscience, is this morally right or wrong? Is abortion morally right or wrong? Is adoption morally right or wrong? I had somebody tell me, I had, you know, I threw out that question at the end of a session, and I had a gentleman say, if you would have said that in the beginning, it would have been just all all over. Wow. It's so easy. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, that's, that's something, you know, to learn from is that sometimes, first of all, that's what we need to pray before. And how we express our, our Catholicity and our approach is the way it comes across. It's our expression right. of love mm. and dignity, mm. right? Um, and seeing the person as a human person and praying to know what they need, what what questions they really know. The Holy Spirit knows what questions they need to have answered. Mm-hmm. And so we will pray about that beforehand. We have Mass every day, so we pray for that. We pray for our clients, not name, because our confidentiality is, is held so high. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you're totally professional and confidential, at the same time, she comes in, we may meet her only a few minutes. What do we tell her then? That right. she's treasured, that she is respected, that she is welcome back, that she's not going to be, in, we don't tell this, but she's not going to be used in one way or another. It just and is. So, it's not something you say, but it just is, and it is experienced. Right. Um, Correct. And yeah. that, that's our goal, to let no obstacle be in that way of being able to fully express that to her. Or him, and that's what I guess in other professional settings, it was not always that explicit permission was not always given. Mm-hmm. And here at Women's New Life Center, it is, and it is 
it's not that it's unprofessional because it's very professional with boundaries, you know, with respect for autonomy. But we understand we're going to go further. We're not going to be indifferent and say, well, this is your decision. Okay. Right. No, it's not. You know, we're not indifferent. But at the same time, we will seek to understand and help her to try to get back to her conscience. If I'm in a fragile state, if I'm in a state of crisis, I'm going to want somebody to remind me. Right. (laughs) Think at that moment, where's, you know, what do I really believe? Right. So we're going to care more about a person than simply what is in front of us. That's the whole point about treating them as a person and how deep, how far their personhood goes because it's infinite. Yes. It's infinite. It's infinite. Oh, yes. Right. So. So just also what's important to do is the the sad part, the very sad part is having this woman who's in front of us, and this could be a a woman who is is in crisis. It could be a woman who's post-abortive. It's recognizing, either way, it's going to be a grieving because it's Mm -hmm. recognizing what are your desires Mm -hmm. and and realizing for them to realize they're not going to be actualized. Mm-hmm. So the desire she may have that she may want this a partner, she may want a family, she wants to be in a home with a happy family, wants a stable household, she wants the child. Mm-hmm. Most of the time she wants the child, but yeah. she wants the child in a stable setting. Right. And this is where the words I can't is, is very important to understand why she feels like she can't. Mm-hmm. And helping her, she wants the best for her child. She wants the best for herself, but she doesn't have the best yet. And so, therefore, the rationalizations of, I can't give my child what he or she needs. Right. You know, therefore, I'm not going to have the child. It's not fair to this child. See, it very much turns into a a protective state mm. and it's it's very deceptive though mm-hmm. right. very deceptive because the intentions may be good to protect and especially for women who have suffered abuse or maybe even sexual abuse which is off it was just common right you know? very common they, so common right, they don't sure they see themselves in this environment where it's just them they're alone mm. i mean they may have a relationship but it may not be stable enough secure to where she feels safe. And if she is, she's pregnant, she's not going to say, I don't want this child because an unplanned pregnancy does not mean an unwanted pregnancy. Right, right. And yeah. I've heard that phrase and, and it doesn't come from me, and but it resonates with me so much in my experience in working with women because it is not that it is unwanted. And this is where the sad part goes. You know, this is the sad part is that it will go into the grieving and especially for women who are post-abortive and they, they have justified it saying, I had to do it. Mm. And in their mind, they really had to. And then that kind of goes away to where there's an ache. They recognize it's aching. Something is there to be had here. There is a relationship still lingering here. Mm. And this is where we try to get them connected or at least be, help them become aware that, first of all, they have a right to grieve. Right. They have a right to grieve because this was wanted. This was wanted, and you have a right to grieve that which you have lost, which you wanted. So it's important that we pay attention to her desires and yes. for her to recognize those because a lot of times when we get stuck on the act of abortion, 
and they don't pay attention to the desire that they had to begin with. Right. And so what oh, happens beautiful is, point, yes. Right. And so, you know, focusing back on what their desire was mm. is really important because that will connect them to the reality of where their child is now and the relationship that, although cannot be physically expressed, can certainly be spiritually and emotionally yes. So it's very important because we can all be judged for things that we've done wrong. Every and one of us, every one of us, every human person. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is, if we're going to look at the full truth, we need to help her to see the full truth. And that the full truth, and especially in understanding where she's coming from and gaining, you know, knowledge through talking with her and having that understanding, if we can bring up the truth, sometimes she only wants to hear the bad truth or remember the bad mm-hmm, truth, mm-hmm. which was, I had an abortion. Mm-hmm. I can, I had an abortion. It almost becomes that? an identity it, it in a way, a compartmentalized very, identity. Mm-hmm. That's why when, when I speak about women who are post-abortive, I don't say a post-abortive woman. Right. Because it's very, it's a clear distinction. That would be like saying, well, I am this kind of woman to a mistake that I made in the past. No, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no, it's the person who we're created to be, and we get away from that. Mm-hmm. And abortion can certainly take us away from that. Other acts can as well. So first she needs to know, and we need to assess where she is in terms of her belief about mercy. Yes. And yeah. then we're going to touch base on divine mercy. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, as I'm listening to you, Elizabeth, I'm thinking about these are really heavy things to listen to. And and you've covered a lot of ground. You've spoken about the woman coming in in crisis, you know, and, and, and the measures that you put in place to try to help her regain momentum, regain a place where she can contemplate her morality or her decision, even her decision-making capacity within her unique situation. You've also right. spoken about women who have had an abortion and who return in grief and agony, it may be depressed, maybe anxious, maybe having some trauma, you know, PTSD symptoms of re-experiencing or flashbacks and dreams and hypervision, you know, all these kinds of things that can happen. We didn't get necessarily into that, but there's so much in the aftermath. However, I also hear so much hope in the things that you're expressing. And I know that one of the tools that the gifts really that that God has given us is the diary of St. Faustina. And you and I share a love of her diary and of her message and of the divine mercy of Christ. And this is something that you offer when you're meeting with souls that come to to see you. And there's a special section here, 1486, that I know is, is something that you often offer to souls that come to see you, Elizabeth, conversation of the merciful God with a despairing soul. Um, I won't take the time to read that text here, but maybe you could kind of take us through it in the way that you would offer that as a vessel of mercy from Christ to that woman that's sitting before you. Sure. I think that, again, being human, I think we can all relate to struggling with the mercy of God. It's unfathomable, but it's also very believable, and that's the thing, is that we can rely on His mercy regarding any sin. And for some women, I will, I will even ask them a question, do you believe that this is the unforgivable sin? And a lot of them will say yes. And I ask that question for a reason, and that reason is to start breaking open that human 
belief, that very limited understanding of mercy. And remember, you know, when we violate our conscience, mm-hmm. if we do not have a belief in mercy, divine mercy, then we're going to be stuck in judgment. In a know? place of and self-loathing, for, right? That, that kind sure, of turn, sure. being turned inward on ourselves. That, that you know, Sister Miriam Heidland in a whole different scenario, but she referred to herself, bless her heart, as disgusting. I am disgusting in her past and before her conversion and receiving Christ's mercy. But I bet you hear some of that come forth. Right. I mean, maybe yeah. not those words of I'm disgusting, but oh. at the same time, I mean, you may have people who and we have women of all different faiths so and and maybe no faith and mm-hmm. so trying to just work on even i guess for women with no faith they can also we're all human so they can also understand that you can be forgiven in and through relationships through families that have experienced mercy mm-hmm. um so they can also relate and so i think what the divine mercy and especially these these conversations that are held in the the diary or that Saint Faustina, you know, shared. It's about a conversation between Jesus and various types of or souls in various states of spiritual journey. So, one that I focus on a lot is is a conversation with a soul who is despairing. Now, why why do I use the one who's despairing? It doesn't mean this woman is in despair. It doesn't mean she's lost all hope. This just illustrates how far Jesus will go to get a soul who he knows he can wants it, right? But he will so honor their free will. Mm. But, but this is beautiful because he looks at the soul who is saying, you don't have mercy for me. Mm. And I think that even, I think that this is just as this is me, you know, this is what is, I think, offensive to him. And not that the person means it. We, we don't mean to offend him. But our lack of trust in his mercy does, what? given the extent of what he did for us. But it's hard. It's hard when we are, you know, judging ourselves to believe in mercy. And right. so... He also can see beyond that in us, and that's what's beautiful. So there's one part where Jesus, uh, I'm going to quote, Jesus speaks to the soul a third time. It's up to two times, two attempts to reach the soul. And it said, but the soul is deaf and blind as it begins to ascertain its hardness and desperation. So I don't want to read too much, but this is where she, this is the last quote in this. She knows that this is the last grace for her. And if she shows a single spark of goodwill, the mercy of God will make the rest. Jesus says here, the omnipotence of my mercy takes over. Mm -hmm. Happy to take advantage of this grace. And so what we need to remember, I think all of us do, and especially for the woman who's, who's dealing with this, this kind of suffering, right, and this loss, is that it's not just up to us to heal. He will do the rest, and it's there. Ours, you know, it's it's a matter of do we choose this or not? Mm. Well, it started with a choice, didn't it? Right, exactly. Now it's another choice. And so the the beauty is that God just he sees us at that moment in time, but he also sees us in the future when we're ready to be open to mercy. And so the plan just unveils or, you know, we realize that there's a much bigger plan and one that we're called to heal. And so he wants us to heal. 
and there's this reconciliation with their child. I'll ask them, what is your belief about where your child is? And what ha- you know, and most of them will believe that, you know, their child is, you know, in heaven. Um, but they also sense this disconnect between themselves. Yeah. And, their and that's the thing is that when we disconnect with ourselves, we therefore can disconnect with those we love. Oh. And so we can recognize that in our own families. We know when we feel a disconnect. Right. You know, how oh my much goodness. done through our, in our relationships, through this sense of disconnect. And it's so painful. It's excruciating. We weren't created for that. We were created for that communion, communion such as that, that exists between the blessed Trinity that's offered to us as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. So she begins to, to be open to that. It's still a hard concept. It's going to take time, but the individual free wills to say, I don't understand it. I accept it right now. I I don't feel it, but I accept it. I trust. But what my job is, and I think those working in this this field, it's to help them to logically see this, Mm -hmm. you know, logically Mm -hmm. see in terms of faith, okay? So I don't mean just pure logic, but how does this make sense? If Mm -hmm. we look at it, we are relational. We are totally relational. We work in a community. I mean, that's how we were born. We're always born in a community. So it's important, I think, that we help her to understand that how this decision is made. You know, that's why we look at family of origin. That's why we look at what the context was and why there wasn't this trust of, okay, I can do this with God's help. I can do this with my family's help. I can do this with my friend's help. I can do this with my partner's help. Usually it's in the breakdown of those relationships that we are less vulnerable and we are susceptible to making decisions that are just out of self-preservation. That's it. And that, you know, and Christ knows us. He knows that we, in, when we fall, and sometimes there, there are little falls and then there are really big falls, but none of that negates his love and mercy, which is unconditional. He wants to lavish it upon us. And we cannot believe the lie that he sees us as unworthy of his love. And that that is really a block that I think you've been speaking so beautifully about that he wants removed. He wants us to give that little window into our heart to make that decision to trust. You know, he takes us out of our word, Elizabeth. If we just say, I don't get it, like you said, but I trust. Here he is. He's right there to pour out his love and mercy in you and upon and upon you and upon us. And so I'm Oh my goodness, so grateful for Christ's mercy. I mean, I'm a recipient. I don't know about you, but I'm a recipient yes, and I want tremendous recipient. I want more. You know, I want more. <laughs> absolutely. And that's the beauty is that it's limitless. You know, oh, and so goodness. how how does more mercy show in our lives? Absolutely. Um I it, I sh- I get the chill thinking about it because I, I don't totally know yet <laughs> as right. far as me. I mean, you know, I continue path of mercy. And the more that you receive, the more you can give. Amen. So I think we have to get past our self-judgments, you know, mm-hmm. about the mistakes that we've made. I think it's in cutting ourselves a little bit of slack because the thing is, is that he does. We need that forgiveness, obviously, especially if you're Catholic, going to confession and remembering that you have been forgiven. Amen. You know, I Amen. think the difficult part is, 
having to go to confession over over again for the same sin that we've been absolved from. And that can happen in women yeah. who've had abortions. Right. They they keep going because there's a sense of I I I know I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven. Mm-hmm. So that's natural. I want women to know that that's normal. The thing is, is that you have been forgiven. That's <laughs> the right. Idea that you're accepting the full mercy. Right. You know, how that's manifested is may not be there yet. There's a growth but, in trust that you've been yeah. forgiven, right? Right, but that takes time because it, just yes. as a relationship, you know, is nurtured and evolves, so does a relationship with God and mm-hmm. trust. You mm-hmm. can be 60 or 70 and feel like you're 20 if mm-hmm. you are in, you know, beginning a relation, a real relationship with him. And that means that you're willing to look at yourself. That's hard because how do we know ourselves? We know ourselves when it's revealed to us by him Amen. who created us. Amen. We see the flaws. We have to travel through the flaws and the sins that we made. It's the dirt and the muck and us realizing that his mercy is there throughout. So we keep realizing how sinful we are and then we can get to the place where we were created. Absolutely. You know, get back to that. And, and so. he's ready to receive us. He he will never refuse the contrite heart. And the mm-hmm. person that asks for his mercy, the person that just opens just a tiny bit to receive. And then you know what? You begin to trust more and you open more. And it's a beautiful cycle that develops. I know that's happened in my own life. Just being able to, first of all, understand and learn more about his mercy and then being more open to it. Then you receive more and it just, and then you give it away. And that's, Elizabeth, that's, that's right. What, that's what we've been doing today. It's not, the healing's not just for us. We don't get to just keep it. We have to give it away. And that's why I'm so grateful to you and to all people like you, Elizabeth, who are on really in the trenches, receiving the battered, the broken into your care, into your heart and turning them like our lady does towards Christ to receive that, the blood and water, which gushed forth from his heart, you know, in in love and mercy to bring us healing Christ, the divine physician. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you. And I'm so grateful to you for your yes to the Lord and for what you get up and do every single day. I would love for people to know a little bit more, if you can tell us how to um, find more information about the Women's New Life Center and the good work that you all are doing there. And um, I have a a final quote I'd love to share from uh, St. Faustina's diary that I think just encapsulates all that you've shared today so beautifully. So if you would tell us how to get more information about the services at Women's New Life Center. Sure. Um, We have two locations. We are about to have a third one. We are... What? um, Yes, we're opening a center on Claiborne Avenue in New Orleans, and that we hope to be in there by the end of the year. Wow. Um, Yes. So we want to, again, be a place for women to go to. And so please look up our information. The website is www.womansnewlife.com. So that's W-O-M-A-N-S, newlife.com. That's probably the quickest, easiest way to get in touch with us. And the other thing is, too, we provide our services at no charge. So oh, my goodness. May, I've made mm-hmm. a few women over a year of counseling, and she's not been charged a thing because of generous donors, you know. And wow. even Yeah, think about even if a person gave a dollar and a thousand people gave a dollar, that's phenomenal. So any type of uh, 
donation is just totally appreciated. So we do like to offer that to women. We like the fact that they don't have to deal with another burden coming in, you know, financial burden. So, yeah. What a gift. What a gift. Praise God. I mean, I, I, you know what? I think I knew that in the past, but I had forgotten that. And that just, just pierced my heart when you said that, that here are these women coming to in, in need. And, you know, that can very much be a barrier the payment of services. And so everything is offered for free. Oh my goodness, I have tears in my eyes. And it is. And that part of our services are. So we do have Mm -hmm. a medical aspect, which is, and it's just Women's New Life Center specific to pregnancy. And that would be, you know, a pregnancy test and ultrasound and the counseling, which I've explained some of that. But And then we have Hope Fertility, which is different, but it is a medical center and you can look up that information. And that is a fee for service. So, gotcha. and there is insurance being accepted, but that's a different part. Even though it's part of Women's New Life Center, it's just a different aspect. Got and it. and also about Creighton Model did not explain too much into that. So you can look that information up on our website. Wow, it's a very rich site too. And in fact, you can see Elizabeth's cute little countenance there on uh, Meet Our Team. So <laughs> you can see see who you've been listening to today, Elizabeth Wilson, licensed clinical social worker. And as far as I'm concerned, just an expert in this area, but most importantly, a woman of heart and of faith and of grace and a vessel of mercy to those in need. Thank you so much for being with me today, taking time out. Well, I know you're a busy lady. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, it's let's, great talking with you. Oh, you too. You're a natural girlfriend. I think you, you uh, yeah, you did. A, this is a beautiful interview. And I just want to um, share with my listeners and with you, Elizabeth, this beautiful quote of Christ to St. Faustina at 1485. And I will let us go out today offering that as a prayer for all those listening who may be suffering themselves or who know someone who is suffering as a result of a pregnancy loss by whatever by whatever means, or really any suffering. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Be not afraid of your Savior, O sinful soul. I make the first move to come to you, for I know that by yourself you are unable to lift yourself to me. Child, do not run away from your Father. Be willing to talk openly with your God of mercy who wants to speak words of pardon and lavish his graces on you. How dear your soul is to me. I have inscribed your name upon my hand. You are engraved as a deep wound in my heart. He's a good, good father, y'all. And may we all open to receive the mercy and the love that he has for each one of us. Pox Christi, y'all. I'll see you next time here on the Faith and Good Counsel Show. Bye-bye now.